So our scripture reading today is Luke chapter 22. If you're using the Black Bibles, you find it on page 1047. And if you were here last week, uh, you recognize that it is actually the third point of last week's sermon. And, uh, and so it's not, a, it's not a long passage, but it seemed worthy of slowing down a little bit and, and unpacking this a little. As God gives instructions to his disciples, he, had, he has already, after the supper, uh, given them instruction to prepare them for uh, being leaders uh, in the church. Uh, that they need to lead with humility, not pursuing greatness for themselves, but uh, leading to care for others. In fact, out of leading out of what he would call uh, infant maturity, uh, seeking to be like the young ones, uh, or servant leadership, which is today such a popular phrase that it doesn't sound as strange to us, but it would have sounded strange to them to be a servant, a leader who serves like a slave. He also prepared them not just for leading, but for failing. That just because they were going to be called to be his apostles, his sent ones, the, the, the foundation of the Christian church, they were still sinners. And they would give in to temptation. But he said, but I'll, I've prayed for you. And so he calls them to remember that in failure, there's always room for repentance. And so return, he said to Peter, when you have fallen, return to me and strengthen your brothers. So when we fail, we are to encourage each other, not as so many uh, accuse the church of, and sometimes rightly so, that the church shoots her wounded. Uh, but we're to care for one another and restore each other and encourage and strengthen one another when failure occurs. But now he moves on to talk to them just sort of about the, the near and immediate future, that they need to be prepared that there are some things that are changing and they need to be ready for that. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So as we look at this very brief passage, we do see three things still, because no matter how short the passage, we're still Presbyterians, for goodness sake. We're going to find three things to talk about. But we see in this passage, uh, the Lord provides... Uh, we also see that the times are changing, 
and we see that the scripture is going to be fulfilled. So first, uh, even just setting the tone for it, Jesus wants the first thing for the disciples to understand, even as things are changing, even as things are about to get very chaotic in his lives, he sets the table by reminding them that God provides. The Lord provides. He says to them, and he draws their attention back to the time that's even recorded earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, when he sent his disciples out uh, in pairs, and he sent them out to, to spread the good news of the kingdom of God, to spread the gospel and to bring it into other villages. And in sending them, he says to them in, in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, and no sandals. In fact, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. But remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in, in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And so he had sent them out into villages. He said, Listen, it's not going to be easy. It will be, you'll be like lambs among wolves. But... Don't take anything with you. Just trust the goodness of your neighbors, trust that God will provide, and I'll take care of you. And so he asks them this important question for understanding what he's about to say to them. He says, did you lack anything when I sent you out with nothing? And they reply, nothing. We lacked nothing when you sent us out in that way. And it's really intentional that that is what they remember before he moves on to other topics. The Lord provides. God always provides. One of, one of God's Old Testament names is Yahweh Yirah. The Lord provides. Interestingly, it literally means the Lord sees. Which for us, that doesn't necessarily mean the Lord provides, does it? Because you and I can be driving along the road and get to an intersection and, and there might be a, a gentleman or a, or a woman standing on the, the divider with some cardboard letting us know that they, they could use some help. And we see them and then try not to make eye contact. And try to make sure that we time it at the light just right so that we don't have to make eye contact. Because when we see, it doesn't always move us. When God sees, He is moved. God is moved by what He sees. A, a name of God that can mean God sees also means God provides, because when God sees, He is moved by what He sees, and He takes action. In fact, that's one of the best descriptions of Jesus throughout all of the Gospels. We, get, we see this threefold. Every time Jesus interacts with someone, we're told very specifically, 
And the Lord looked at her and felt compassion for her and acted or moved toward her. The Lord sees and what the Lord sees causes the Lord to feel and what the Lord feels causes the Lord to act. God always provides for his children. Maybe not in the exact way that we would want him to. Maybe it not at the exact timing of what we think he should be providing, but God always sees, always feels, always provides. God has compassion of, on us. God sees your need and he acts on your behalf. It's actually one of the reasons I love the Hebrews 13 benediction. Because in essence, what it is saying, when you cut out all of the extra lines in the middle, it says, Now may the God of peace equip you for doing his will, working in us everything that is pleasing to him. So may the God of peace equip you for doing what he wants you to do. Also, he's the one who's filling you with everything you need to do that. God is acting. Even as he's calling us to an obedience, he's saying, I will equip you. I will fill you with everything that pleases me. God acts on behalf of his children. God sees and knows and provides. And that's the tone he wants to set for the apostles, for the disciples. Remember, Whatever else I'm about to tell you, remember, God provides. But he does tell them circumstances are changing. The times are changing right now. Uh, you are entering a phase of life where you are going to have few friends and many enemies. Where in the past you might be able to rely on common hospitality. Now uh, the rejection of me means that they will reject you. Your association with me whom they are going to reject means they will reject you. And you need to be prepared. Whereas before you didn't need a money sack. You didn't need a knapsack. You didn't even need extra sandals. Now, if you've got a money bag, you should, you should bring that. You're going to need provisions. It's a, long, it's a long road that I'm calling you on, not just a short go out, eat what they offer you, and come back. Times are different. You're going to need to pack for this. You're not going to have a regular home as you follow me now. In fact, he essentially is saying climate and comfort are no longer your primary problem. In the NIV, it basically says, if you have a coat and no sword, sell the coat, buy a sword. Your problems are going to be way more than, am I warm enough tonight? They are going to be a little bit deeper than that. Now, this raises a lot of questions for people. So is Jesus calling the twelve to actually take up swords in defense of the gospel? 
And if he were, I would say it would be strange that when they do, not 12 hours later, he admonishes them and stops everything they're doing. It would be strange that earlier when when two of his disciples were upset with the rejection of Jesus in Samaria, they ask him, hey, do you want us to like call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus is like, what? No. Jesus isn't calling his disciples to arms in order to advance Christianity through methods of violence. He's simply pointing out the world is going to be so against you, you will need to defend yourselves occasionally. You are going to need more than just a coat for defense against the elements. The world is going to despise you. And his essential reason for explaining that is the fulfillment of Scripture. Because he says, for the Scripture that is about me must be fulfilled. Now, this is an interesting passage here, just that in, a, in itself, because a lot of people like to point to Jesus' words and say that he never really claimed that he was the Son of God. He never really claimed that the Bible was about him. But in this passage, he says, there is prophecy specifically about me that must be fulfilled. And he points to the last verse of the fourth servant song that are recorded in Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 42 on records these four servant songs about this person that's called a servant. He's both identified with Israel, but he's someone other than Israel. And in all four of these songs, things are revealed about this servant. And the longest and last of those songs comes at the end of Isaiah 52, leading in all the way through all of Isaiah 53. And in that song, the last verse says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The servant of the Lord, in everything else we learn about him, the last thing we learn about him is that he will be numbered with the transgressors. And so in one sense, we hear that and we're like, well, that's, that's referring to him being hanged on a cross between two thieves. So he's numbered among the transgressors in that way. But Jesus is saying, you're going to need to provide for yourselves because I am going to be numbered with the transgressors. It's not just that he'll be killed beside a couple of transgressors. Jesus himself will be considered one of the transgressors. In the first three centuries of Christianity, for 300 years, the typical explanation from Jewish and Roman citizen was that this Jesus was a deceiver and 
a malefactor, that he deserved to be crucified. He brought it on himself. For three centuries, this was the view of this Jesus by the majority of the Roman Empire. Jesus says, this scripture that says he will be numbered among the transgressors. He will be counted as one of the transgressors. And if he, how much more those who follow him? Just by association, you will be considered an evil stain on society. I know that we, in at least the last century, Probably we would say the whole last two centuries of our country's existence. We would say that we have not personally experienced this. But I would say that we are fast moving, quickly moving into an area of culture and society where Christianity is considered a transgression on the world. Where Christianity, to have a view of what Scripture teaches, of what is good for you, what is right for you, what is appropriate for you, is actually a transgression, is actually wicked and evil in the eyes of the world. And how long will the world put up with that? For how long will it be that, that you can call yourself a member of an evangelical or Bible-preaching church, and it won't impact your security level or your promotability. We're being counted among God's people will be considered wicked and evil. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, you need to be prepared. These scriptures will be fulfilled. But you also need to remember, I'm going to take care of you. I will provide. Now his disciples, uh, once again, give us some level of, I don't know, security. They're just good at making us feel good about ourselves. Because they're so knuckleheaded. I mean, he's telling them, listen, times are changing. You need to be ready. Hey, remember, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. You're going to need to bring your money bags. Notice no one says, well, how many money bags? How many money bags do we have? Do we have how many, who's got a money bag? How many? We, get it, we need to get a count here. If Jerry was there, he would have been helping us. He'd have been like, Let's, hey, I want to see the money bags. I want to see these ledgers uh, or the knapsacks. That Nobody says a knapsack. Who calls it a knapsack anymore? Is that with an N or a K? I can never remember. But nobody's saying like, knapsack, okay, we need, okay, we're going to need sleeping bags apparently. Apparently we're all going to go hiking together. And uh, no, but he happens to say, also if you have an extra coat, sell it and buy a sword. And then all of a sudden, kakong, we got two. Is that, should we get more? Should we get, let's get more. And also, where did those swords come from? Does anyone, am I the only one that's like, what? I'm a Jesus. Because like, I'm sure he's like, first of all, what? Where did you get these? And you know, they're looking over at Simon the Zealot. 
Because when Jesus said, we're going to need two swords, you can just see him. He's sitting in the corner. He's probably got his hat down. He's chewing on something long. And all of a sudden he's like, finally. <laughs> but Jesus, he's just like, they say, is, is this enough? Is two enough? And like we think, oh, two was enough. But Jesus is just like, okay, that's enough. He says, this is enough. Enough talk about swords. Because it's not like they're missing the point. His whole point is, listen, God provides. Never forget that first. God will provide for you. But times are changing. And you are going to be hated because they hate me. Because the scripture must be fulfilled that he was numbered with the transgressors. Because the third way that he's numbered with the transgressors is that Jesus is counted as a transgressor on behalf of the transgressors. That's the beauty of the end of that verse. That even as Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you. The end of Isaiah 53 says, and he will make intercession for those transgressors. Christ prays for the very sinners who would kill him, the sinners who would deny him, the sinners who never quite understand exactly what he's saying. But he cares for us and he provides for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to you that you care for us and that your care for us isn't dependent on our lack of knuckleheadedness. You, you love us. We see how you love your disciples and we see how they frustrate us. And yet you love them. And so how much you must still love your disciples. Thank you. Thank you. As times continue to change and it feels uh, more and more frightening to admit to following you. Help us to be comforted in knowing that you provide, you care, you see, you feel, and you act. We praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.